So John chapter 20, we'll read the first 18 verses. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separated from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we've heard uh, uh, Lee Strobel's uh, story, the way that uh, he spent two years looking at uh, the evidence. And we pray this morning as we look at uh, this part of John's account that uh, the words on the page would make sense to us and that you would be speaking into our lives the truths that we've sung already that they, they would be fresh and new and would renew us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Mary Magdalene now has her own film, doesn't she? Um, anyone seen it? No? Okay. That kind of fits with what I read online of the critics are kind of like giving it a definite mediocre. Um, the trailer, I thought, looked interesting. I'm sure I might see it eventually. Uh, I think what they've done, as far as I understand, is that the film directors have... Um, sort of retold the, the story of uh, Jesus and the events of the Gospels sort of through Mary Magdalene's eyes. They've imagined from her perspective um, how things would have been and how she would have felt and her experiences. But you see, here in John 20, we have not an imagined version of Mary Magdalene's experience, but an but a eyewitness record of 
Mary Magdalene's experience. It says, doesn't it, in that final verse, she told them the thing that, that, that what, what Jesus had said. She told them about everything that had happened. And John, one of those early witnesses, has written it down so that we have her perspective on the first Easter Sunday. And I don't know what you thought as we read through it. Um, I tried to emphasize the way it struck me, the way it reads like eyewitness testimony. Um, just the, the emotion going on here. I mean, when, when someone dies, when we lose somebody, um, we, just, we, we act impulsively, we act just as a way that expresses our love. Um, and we, we do things, these kind of things like Mary and the other women did, that they went to the tomb early in the morning to anoint the body, to, to express their, sort of their ongoing love, their... how full of grief they were. They wanted to honour Jesus sort of after death by anointing the corpse because there hadn't been time to do it and he died. Uh, She's she's just doing what we do when we grieve, just trying to act out of that. And and that just rings true, doesn't it? That What it doesn't say is, on the first Easter morning, uh, all of Jesus' disciples were camping outside the tomb with bottles of champagne ready to pop when he came out again. That would be one way to tell the story. It would be fiction. But this is what happened. They were full of grief on the first Easter morning. None of them were expecting what happened. Uh, when they arrive and they find that the stone's been moved away, they don't go, oh, well, he's risen from the dead. They react like it's recorded, Mary reacted. She's distraught. She runs and finds the others, verse 2. They've taken my Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. That's her instinctive, of course, the stone. He must have been, oh no, what's happened? Who could do such a thing? That's what she's thinking. She's very logical is Mary. And so what we're going to look at this morning as we look through this story is we're going to look at two things and there are two things and I think actually Lee Strobel reflected on this. Um, There are two parts to committing yourself to Jesus into receiving the blessing of what he's achieved. There's discovering evidence, discovering that actually these things happened and then there's personal encounter as well of Realizing not just that these things happen, but it's relevant and true for me, and actually receiving what Jesus has done into our lives. Well, discovering evidence, that's what Lee Strobel did when he looked into it for those two years. Uh, that's what Mary does. Is, uh, there are other women with her, the other Gospels tell us, but this one zooms in on her. And what she does is she runs to find the nearest disciples, Peter and the one who wrote this Gospel, John. And did you notice, just as an aside, the way that John describes himself in verse 2? Um, his name, John, in Hebrew form, um, means graced by God. So I don't know whether you've got any Johns here, but you're graced by God if, if you're a John. That's apparently what your name means. But this John realises even more than that. He realises I'm not just being given good things by God. I'm loved by God. I'm loved by Jesus. And so as he describes himself, he's trying not to draw attention to him. So he describes himself as I'm the one that Jesus loved. Uh, which is a beautiful way to describe yourself. And actually, you can too, if you're trusting in Jesus. That's who you are too. You're the one that Jesus loves. Well, anyway, that's an aside, but a beautiful one. Um, He and um, Peter have a sprint race, and John seems to maybe be younger and fitter and win. Um, He gets there and gets to the door, 
and kind of looks in and sees what's happening. But Peter, as ever, when he gets there, charges straight in. And what they discover in verse 6 is, is just a long way from the scene of a chaotic body snatch. The word saw in verse 6 in the original Greek is uh, the word from which we get the word theory. So they saw, but they weren't just seeing with their eyes, they were thinking about it. They were theorizing as they saw. And what they saw was, well, hang on a minute, the body's gone and the grave clothes are still here. And they've got the cloth around his head and it's just where it was when it was around his head. It's left behind and it's just not the way you do a robbery. You wouldn't take the time. To, I mean, why on earth do you steal a dead body in the first place? But you, you wouldn't unwrap it carefully and fold it up, fold up the grave clothes and leave them nice and neat. And, and as John writes this down, he remembers in verse 8, this was the moment for him. He saw and believed. Hang on a minute, empty tomb, discarded grave clothes. That was enough for him. In spite of the fact, if you look at verse 9, it wasn't what he was expecting or Peter or any of them were expecting. The first part in verses 1 to 9 here are about discovering evidence. And then, though, it's when it gets real. It's verses 10 to 18, when there's personal encounter. And um, this is where we zoom in on Mary's story. She stays behind when Peter and John head back. Uh, she's outside the tomb, verse 11, weeping. She's devastated. She came to pay her last respects to the Lord, to the teacher who'd shown such grace to her, who'd changed her life for the better. he brought her to God, into his kingdom, who'd accepted her. And now he's gone, and she's full of grief. And it's to Mary that the risen Jesus chooses to appear first. And there's just something lovely and moving about that. I don't know for any here who you're here, God's brought you to church, Easter Sunday, to think about these things. And I don't know how it strikes you. Uh, Mary's, Mary's someone who, uh, back then, 2,000 years ago, sadly, um, the, uh, her testimony as a woman wouldn't have carried uh, the weight of a man in court. So it's not because she's going to be a stellar witness for, for Jesus. She wasn't going to be a leader as far as we know, despite what the filmmakers imagine. It's just that, and, that, and the other detail I noticed was that she would have heard eventually, wouldn't it? They all heard eventually because one of them saw and then they told the others. But Jesus just sees her in her grief and responds. He wants to help her to realize, actually, you're grieving, but there's no need to. I'm alive, and I want you to know it. And I want you to receive what I've done for you. And it's just, it's, it's beautiful and moving, but it's also, again, it's, it's eyewitness. Look again at verse 15. What it doesn't say is, Mary was full of grief, and a sympathetic stranger came and said a kind word to her. And she shouted out, Wow, Jesus, you're alive! And the man replied, Steady now. Easy, I'm just the gardener. <laughs> it's the opposite of that, isn't it? It's not Mary having some fantastical hallucination brought on by her loss. Like verse 9 says, none of them were expecting this. 
It's rather as she kind of looks through her tears, she sees the risen Jesus but doesn't recognize him. She's so preoccupied looking for a corpse that she meets him and assumes he must be the gardener. Why else would someone be up that early walking around uh, this uh, garden tomb? So in verse 15, she asks him about the, 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 the body. Uh, have you got it? Have you, do you know what happened to it? And you can imagine her pacing backwards and forwards. As she, she's asked him and she's frantic and she's looking and, and then she hears her name, Mary. How does he know my name? And, oh gosh, that voice sounded familiar. And then she realises, she looks properly at him. Rabboni. She can't believe it. Teacher. She's astonished. This is impossible. People don't get up from the dead again. And yet here he is right in front of her eyes. That's the Easter story. That's what happened. That's what changed their lives. And John tells us Mary's story because it's true and because it's so wonderful. It's so life-changing. Now let me say, this is obviously supernatural, isn't it? What's being talked about here. Uh, Verse 12 mentions angels in the tomb that Mary sees. Jesus breaking death apart and coming back again. That is obviously supernatural intervention from God. It doesn't happen every day, but it did happen. And it changes everything. Jesus is the saviour of the world, just like he said he was. And notice verse 17. It's not just a case of, oh well, now we can go back to how it was before, Jesus. The implication of verse 17 is that Mary's grabbed hold of Jesus in some way, maybe... Uh, grabbed his feet or somehow uh, it's clear that he had a physical body he's he's risen from the dead with a physical body this isn't some sort of apparition Um, but Jesus says no no can't let go Um, it's going to be different now he's going to return to God the Father just as he came from God and knowing him is going to be different now it's not going to be a face to face anymore it's going to be a relationship of faith not sight but actually it's going to be better according to Jesus look at verse 17 quick he teaches that uh, those who come to him are, um, are brothers and sisters. Uh, that, that, that God is now our father, not just his father, but our father. We're in a family together with Jesus and with one another and with God as father. And he's not just a God somewhere out there. He's your God. That's what it is to experience eternal life that John's been telling us about the life that starts now of new relationship with God and that continues beyond the grave forever to be with Jesus in the new creation with a new body resurrected like his his was. It's astounding, this gospel, this friendship with God through Jesus the risen one. And it's a discovery that everyone in this room who, who believes has made, every Christian in this room, that the Jesus we read about in this book is not just a figure of history, but he really is alive. He really rose. And as we trust in him, and as we pray to him, we know God through him. We're part of a family together with him. An unbreakable friendship with the living God. So this is real spiritual experience. It's personal encounter. But it starts with real evidence that we can all look at, like Lee Strobel did. 
uh, Mary, John, Peter, down-to-earth people, uh, not a bunch of philosophers sitting down in an ivory tower a long time ago dreaming up a new religion. They're just plain-speaking people telling others what they've seen. Sure, they didn't have a degree in science, but you don't need that to know that resurrections don't happen. You just need to live life to realise that when people die, it's tragic and they don't come back. Only Jesus did. It's personal encounter, and it's personal encounter that the relationship they have with God through him that they've then written up into the New Testament and has been spread throughout the world. It, it may be that you think, oh gosh, yeah, I'd like to think a bit a bit more about that. And actually, whether, whatever stage you're at in faith journey, we'd love everyone to have a copy of this book that's around the place, um, uh, Love Story. It's um, a creative look at this story and our story and how it all fits together. Um, we'd love you as, to take it away. At, um, it's uh, our gift to you uh, as a church this Easter uh, so everyone can kind of have a fresh look at this together. It may be you've come and you just think, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, I, I actually, you know, I do believe this. I've looked into it and I've done my theorizing and I, I, I actually do believe it all happened but I'm not sure I have had that personal encounter. Well, it may be that just today we'll have a moment of silence and after, as we finish, that just you just want to pray to God today and say, well, thank you that Jesus came, that he died, that he rose again, and it was for me. And I want to know you. I want to be part of your family with you as my God and uh, with Jesus as my saviour. Maybe there's a moment for you today to put the theory into practice, as it were, um, because that's... That's what Christianity is. It's, 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 it's historical events. It's unique historical events. This, this happened, and it changes everything. But then it's a personal encounter that will feel different for everyone. Lisa will very helpfully said that for him it felt, you know, it was all about logic for him rather than emotion. For other people it's much more about, whoa, my sins have been forgiven. That is a weight I've been carrying for so many years. And it is such a relief that Jesus has lifted it from me. It feels different for different people. But for all of us, because it really happened, it's been helpfully said, and I've said it before on Easter Sunday, but I love this phrase, that there is a death-refusing hope now at the heart of the human race. A death-refusing hope at the heart of the human race now. Because Jesus rose, he can keep the promise that I read out every time I lead a funeral. It's the promise made in um, John chapter 11 to uh, Martha as she's grieving uh, the loss of her brother Lazarus. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever, lives, whoever believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. He says that and then he raises Lazarus from the dead and gives him back to his family for the remainder of his lifespan. You see, there is now a death-refusing hope at the heart of the human race, a hope that says there is something beyond and death is not the last word and that is incredibly good news for every funeral and for every one of us. There is someone powerful enough to reunite us, the other side of death, with the people we lose in this life. And powerful enough to do more than that, to remake the heavens and the earth, 
to a permanent home where at last everything is right. That is what the resurrection is the beginning of. It is incredible news. Not naive optimism, not April Fool's, but a certain unchanging, unshakable hope that is the foundation for a very different life. It's what we want to tell our children, it's what we want to tell the world, and we want to walk through life with that hope. A hope that will not abandon us even in the valley of the shadow of death because he'll be with us even there and he alone can save us. Now I'm not saying that uh, we will, if we know this, we'll kind of float through life on a cloud, always feeling positive. I was sharing with um, a friend, with Anna actually, uh, on Good Friday um, that uh, I've had a week of feeling really quite flat and low. That's just how I've been feeling for most of the week. And... um, but each time we've gathered on Thursday evening, Friday, Friday and this morning, um, I found that meeting with God, meeting with his people, singing his praises, hearing the story again, has lifted me. Because these truths make a difference. They really make a difference. They transform my limited perspective, the things that I'm sort of, uh, about, and give me again uh, that reminder of my connection with the big story, with the love story of the world, of God saving the world. And so it feeds me. And I think that's what we've been meaning in recent weeks. We've been talking about rejoicing in the Lord. That's what it is, isn't it? We come to these truths. They feed us, they lift us, they bring us back to God. So how about you this Easter time? If you know these things and believe these things, as we live in the light of them each day, we will be people with joy in our lives. We will be people with hope in our lives that we can share with others as we live these things. And if you don't yet know this or don't yet, haven't yet made that step of making it personal, well, will you look at it some more, have a read through the book, have a think some more, let's chat some more after Easter. Uh, but maybe for some it is the right time to pray for the first time, to say to God, thank you that this is real, I want to receive it into my life. So that's all of us. Whatever is appropriate, we'll have a moment or two of quiet now. And uh, let's uh, have a a moment of reflection, a moment of prayer, uh, each of us.